Psalm 23, verse 5, that's actually the text we're going to. Entitled the message this morning, The Good Shepherd Has Prepared a Banquet for You. The Good Shepherd Has Prepared a Banquet for You. Don't you just hate it when something just jumps out and grabs hold of you? No. Psalm 23, verse 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Father, we are before you, my Lord, and I know that we've gone through song service, and I pray, Father, that you'll be exalted and continue to be lifted up. That hearts and minds be directed to you in all things, Lord, not just on a Sunday morning, but Father, I pray that a Sunday morning is the beginning of a new week, Lord, and there's also a reflection on how, you've been, how we have been blessed throughout the entire and Father, those things that come into our lives, I pray, Father, that when we invite you in and get into your word, and Father, your spirit will come give us the strength we need to overcome all things. Draw us closer to you in a real way, Lord. And you receive that glory and the honor, we pray. And let our testimony and our witness continue without fault, without falter, Lord, that others might recognize the message we have given in the past is a message we still stand with today and on to eternity because you have not changed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. My Father, I pray you'll continue to bless as always. Amen and amen. I don't think I have to tell you that from time to time, life can actually wear you down. It can get you to a place where you have nothing more to give. And I'm sure that some of us, maybe all of us, can at least identify with this anonymous prayer request. It went like this. I feel like I'm in a, zo- a war zone. Not just one battle, but one after another, after another. I argue with my wife. I clash with my kids over everything. I fight to keep my job. I struggle with our growing debt, and I'm losing battle with my weight. And then there's a conflict inside of me. I fight my own fears. I, I battle with anxiety, my temper, and I'm always fighting off depression. Sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm just fighting to keep my head above water. And I'm just so tired. How does the goodness of God help when you feel like that? When you're in a battle and you're all beaten up, how does God lift you up when you're worn out and worn down? Not after the battle's over. The prayer quest went. I'm talking about in the middle of the battle. Where do you find the goodness of God? Folks, I believe that the answer lies in verse 5 of the psalm which we read. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You prepare a table. You prepare a table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. We've been looking at Psalm 23 for the last several weeks. There's only six little verses, but those six little verses give us a tremendous insight to the goodness of our God. In fact, there's about 12 pictures or 12 expressions of the goodness of God in our lives. You know, God is good whether we are resting in the green pastures or, or by still waters or whether in the valley of the shadow of death, whether this week when we're facing an enemy. 
when you're in a battle. A battle. It could be a financial battle. It could be a, a battle in health. It could be a relational battle. It could be a battle for your own sanity. How does God show His goodness in that kind of situation? Well, verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In this verse, verse 5, there are actually three... Three expressions of how God is good to us. Now we're only going to go and deal with one expression or one phrase this morning because we don't have much time for it. You guys will really be upset with me if we go a couple of hours. So we're going to look at one phrase this morning. And then we'll look at the next couple, next couple of weeks. He said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. And, and you know, it's a pretty simple little statement. But you ask, what does it really mean to prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies? <clears throat> this passage of Scripture was written over 3,000 years ago. So how can that passage of Scripture help me in the battles that I'm facing today? Battles against my enemy today. And what is my enemy? Well, I want to go, past, go through this passage of Scripture and I want to tear apart this passage word by word so we can understand the metaphor here and be able to apply it to our lives today. And so we're going to ask Four questions. Number one is going to be this. What kind of table is it? Who are the enemies? What does the table symbolize? And what's on the menu? Because it's always important to me when it comes to a table. I want to know what's on the menu, okay? That's good. <laughs> what's on the menu? First of all, the question is, what kind of table is it? We read it there, Psalm 23. 5 says you prepare. You prepare a table before me. You prepare a table before me. In, in, in the... Uh, Good News Translation, it says, you prepare a banquet for me. So what kind of table is it? It's pretty simple. It is a banquet table. Amen? It's a banquet table. A banquet table. The first word that you see there in the passage of Scripture is the word you. It said this, you prepare. You prepare. When I talk about that word you, it literally means God Himself. He is preparing. He is preparing. So from that little word you, we find out Quite a bit about our God. First of all, He is the host, amen, of the banquet. It's His idea. Can you imagine for a moment going to the mailbox or getting an email and it's an invitation from God? He's inv inviting you to His banquet. Oh, you're on the A list, you know. You probably aren't going to go to bed that night. You know, you're going to be awake up. You probably take several showers getting ready. You're going to get a haircut. You know, going to find some new clothes, buy something new because you are going to go. You're getting ready for a banquet that God has invited you to. He's the host. He. You, the scripture says, prepare. And that second word is prepare. Prepare. To prepare something means you have to plan for it. It wasn't like the Lord Almighty said, okay, let's, let's have a banquet, spontaneous banquet. No, no, He prepared this banquet. He put some forethought into it. It's planned and prepared. You prepare. Now, the word banquet in the Hebrew literally means table. So when we're talking about you prepare a table before me, it's not just a table. It's a king's table. He's preparing a table for you, a banquet. He's not talking about some, some TV dinner tray. He's not talking about some dinette in the kitchen, some outdoor picnic table. He's not talking about that. 
He's talking about a king's table. He's referring to one of those really long tables that you have at those castles, the old castles, you know, and they got these long, long tables. 50, 100 people can sit around. He's talking about a king's table. In the Bible, most of the time when you hear about a table, it's referring to a king's table. Also, it refers to the table of the showbread in the, in the temple. So it's a special table. It's a special table, a sacred table. You've been invited to it. A table that is, banquet that is well planned, laid out. And then he goes on to say the next phrase, he says, for me. You prepare a table, a banquet for me. For me. He's saying, you're the honored guest. It's not a banquet for somebody else. You're, you're not being invited to a banquet for someone else. It's a banquet really for you. It's just for you and the king. You're the big kahuna. You're the big cheese of the hour. Amen. A big deal. For you. He, the King of glory, is preparing a banquet for you. And then the next phrase is in front of. So it's not a secret. It's a public banquet. It's not private. People are actually going to watch you eat with the King. Apparently what this passage is telling me is that God wants to see you honored. And God wants everyone to know that you're being honored. That you're being blessed. Wow. And then the fifth is, and this is the catchphrase, my enemies. Now that's a twist. You would expect the Lord to say, look, it, I want you to come to a banquet. I, I, I'm making a banquet, preparing a banquet for you and your friends. That's what you would expect. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to prepare a banquet just for you but all your enemies are going to watch us eat together. Wow. Those little words mean so much. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll just touch our hearts with those words. We can experience that love. Understand who we are in you and what you care for us. And you say, well, Pastor Bob, what in the world does that mean? Well, get this picture of this battle, a battlefield. Two sides, ready to fight. And right smack dab in the middle of the battle, the Lord places a banquet table. The last thing you would expect in the middle of a battle would be a banquet table. And what the king is saying, basically is saying this, during the battle, I'm going to come and throw a banquet for you and all your enemies are going to see. They're going to watch me honor you. They're going to watch me bless you. We're going to be at peace. Be at peace. So we covered the first one. Okay, we understand that this table is a banquet table. The second question is, who's the enemy? Well, the Bible tells us that we actually have three enemies. Now, this portion right here, who's the enemy? That, that's a message in itself. I, I would go into a series just dealing with that. Now, we have talked in Bible study about these enemies, these, these three enemies. We've gone into detail. So I'm not going to go into detail with it today. But the Bible does tell us we have three enemies. They are the world, the devil, and the flesh. You talk about the world as being the enemy. It's the world around us. That world that's in opposition to our God. It's the world that worships itself. Not our God. 
It's the world that's always coming after you, always uh, uh, criticizing, never understanding, putting pressure on you. The world. And its beliefs and its philosophies that want to get into our head and get into our mind, who want to lead us astray, who want to taint the reality of the world as the Lord would reveal. And the second is, of course, the devil himself. The evil one. Now, I don't have time to go into it in depth again. But I'll say this. God Almighty says that the evil one, Satan, is real. And he wants to defeat you. It also tells us very clearly that God loves you. And he has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, the evil one, Satan, hates you. And has a terrible plan for your life. The Bible says that Satan wants to kill, destroy, and defeat you. And you say, why? Why me? I haven't done anything to him. Yeah, you did. You didn't realize it, but it goes back to Genesis when God created man, Adam and Eve. He created humanity, created mankind to worship. And, and, and all of His love and all of His care and concern and mercy was placed upon these two. He wanted, he wanted fellowship. And so He treasured Adam and Eve and humanity. He treasured them. And, and, and Satan was jealous because he was pretty high up and he wanted that kind of honor and God didn't give it to him. We rebelled. So it's not that you've done anything wrong, it's the fact that God loves you. And you know, if you really want to hurt somebody, oftentimes you don't go after the person, you go after the people that that person loves. And so to hurt the Lord, hit the Lord what the evil one does, is I'm going to take away, I'm going to go after not the animals and not creation, no, your cre- those created in your image. The object of your love. That's what I'm going after. Those who have made a commitment to you have been walked in your way. It's not over, folks. He said, I'm going to tear them down because I want to destroy that testimony. Because in doing that, I will hurt you. I'll hurt the Lord. And so Satan, he's the enemy because he thinks he can hurt the Lord. That's what he thinks. And he will. Every single time. Those who have confessed the Lord as Jesus, Savior in our lives, we make that confession. Others know that. And we fall away. Hurts the Lord. It's like we sucker punch him. We sucker punch him. I've been sucker punched a couple times in my life. Then there's the third enemy. This is probably the biggest enemy. The old nature inside of us. And the older you get, the more you're going to realize that it is the biggest enemy that you face. It's you. We have found the enemy. And it's us. In fact, as Paul wrote an entire chapter about this in Romans 7, chapter, look at these very two verses. I just picked out two from the entire, but it says this. We've looked at this before. Paul says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. Verse 24, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? What he's saying is, I don't get it. You know, I want to do right things, but I don't end up doing those things. I don't know. And the things that I know are bad for me, I end up doing bad. There's this battle constantly going on in my life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This battle? No, yes, no, yes, yes. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Wow. In the presence of my enemy, there's this banquet table. Banquet table. banquet table. What does it symbolize? What's the symbolism in there? First of all, two things. First of all, it tells me that God wants 
fellowship with me. If I put it in our, in our natural, He wants to hang out with us. You know, He did that with Adam and Eve. In the cool of the evening, He would go and have fellowship with them. Sin separates us from that fellowship. He wants to have fellowship. He's always wanted to have fellowship with the object of His love. He wants to hang out with us. And I think that's one of the most amazing truths in all the universe. The God who created all, everything, wants to know me, wants to know you. Not just to be our God or our King, but to be our friend. He wants fellowship. He wants to eat together with us. And that banquet, the banquet always, almost always represents fellowship. You know, when you want to have fellowship with someone, you say, hey, look at, hey, what are you doing? Let's go get something to eat. Have somebody over to your house. That's called fellowship. Some people thought it was just two fellows in a ship, but it's not really. God wants to throw a banquet for you. He said, I just simply want to hang out with you, have fellowship. I want, to, I want you to understand how much I love you. I want to show you how you are welcomed by me. And I want to show all those around you that you are welcomed by me. When you're under attack, I want to encourage you in the presence of your enemy. Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. He says, so basically he's saying, uh, you welcome us with open arms. He's talking about God. When we come running to you, you open us, you, you welcome us with open arms. In other words, when I'm in that battle and I need a little bit of help and I need encouragement, I need some protection, I run to you and the Lord always says, you're welcome with open arms. But, but I may have caused it. You're welcome with open arms. And I love that. I love that passage. In fact, it's paraphrased. The message paraphrased is you welcome us with open arms when we run for cover to you. Here's the thing. The only way you can experience His embrace, His presence, if you what? Run to Him for cover. Amen. But it opens. But, but you know, I, I, I run to him. Run to him. Song of Solomon, look at it, it says here. He has taken me to a what? To the banquet hall. And what? His banner over me is love. That's a message in itself. It wasn't for time constraints. I looked at that passage and said, I'd like to kind of veer off to that verse. Maybe someday we'll get to it. But I want the Spirit of God to touch you right now because He says His banner over you is love. His love. I mean, you may never ever have thought it this way, but do you understand God is saying, I'm proud of you? He's saying, if you're, you're, a, if you're a child of the King, you're a child of God, our Heavenly Father is proud of you and He loves you and He's bringing you into this banqueting table and, and he's, His banner over you is love. It's about you. He's got a banner over your table. You see, this is my Love. And he wants your enemies to know how much he, the king loves you. Go back to the fifth verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So here's this picture. You've got this, these two armies. They're fighting, okay? They're arguing. They're fighting back and forth. And, and all of a sudden, they just stop the battle. And they start to stare. And they say, are you kidding me? There's a banquet table in the middle of the battlefield. 
Are you kidding me? The king has picked one guy out of everybody and they just stare there for a minute. I've never seen any, we've never seen anything like this before in our lives. One of the things I've learned over the years, I've learned that that when God personally wants to, to bless your life, there is nothing or no one can, that can stop or do anything about it. Critics can do whatever they want, say whatever they want. When God wants to bless your life, they may spite you, they may slander you, they can ignore you, they can ridicule you, you, you they can make stuff up, they can smear your name, they can do whatever they want to do, but nothing can stop our God from blessing your life when He desires to. When God's blessing is on your life, God's banner of your love is lo- over you is love. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what others may say or think. His banner over you is love. God's love to show His blessing. The blessing of His people. He loves to show the blessing of His people in front of the enemy. So there you have it. In your battle, in the midst of your battle, in the middle of your battle, God invites you to a banquet. Job 20, 36 says this, He is wooing you. Wow. He's wooing you from the jaws of what? Say it. Jaws of distress. He's wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restrictions. Kind of freedom. To the comfort of your table laden with choice food. I like that. Got my attention. He says, the scripture says, God is in the midst of your battle. He is in the midst of the battlefield. He is wooing you. He's, he's gently calling you from the jaws of distress. I think that's a striking phrase. The jaws of distress. Right? He's calling you from the jaws of distress to an open place of freedom. He has set a table full of the best foods. And you know, I looked at that passage and I said, that's the same metaphor. David's using the same metaphor Job and Dave, they're saying that they're using the same metaphor. Job is saying exactly the same thing David was saying in Psalm 23. God is saying, hey guys, come on over here. I got a banquet for you. He's wooing, the wooing. He's like wooing you like a lover. He's gently calling you. Gently calling you to his banquet. I'll tell you something. When he calls you, when he woos you to his banquet, my, my recommendation is you accept. You accept the invitation, okay? Well, I pray you really understand what he's saying and what he's doing, and you accept. You know, he says, God says he's taking you from the jaws of distress. And I started, you remember Jaws? They used to, they Jaws, and they, they kept doing sequels, right? Jaws 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. And it's like, come on. And for a while there, that's what the movies would always do. They would take one, and then they would do Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, constantly, constantly doing Jaws of distress. You remember that? Dun, 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 right? And then uh, all of a sudden he would show up. I remember one of the scenes that freaked me out the most was the boat was tipped over and there's a hole in the boat and this, and, and, and this guy is kind of driven and the shark just shows up. He's like, whoa, whoa, where'd that come from, you know? <laughs> anyway, I love that draws of distress, the scripture says. Let me ask you, what's chewing on you right now? What's eating you up right now? What is that? Is it? Does worry got you? Anxiety, fear? It's gnawing at you. If something's gnawing at you, you are in the jaws of distress. And with God's message to us, He's wooing us saying, hey, come on. You deserve a break today. 
gently calling you from those jaws of distress to an open place of freedom where he sets before you a table with the best food. So the first thing in the metaphor is that I prepare a banquet for you, which means God wants to have fellowship with you. The second, this is important, God wants to bless you. He wants the world to see his goodness lavished on you. Look to the person inside you and say, God consider you his trophy of grace. You are his trophy of grace. You didn't deserve it. You don't deserve anything. You don't deserve the blessing on your life. It's all about God's grace. I want you to remember, in Psalm 23, we're talking about the goodness of our God. Here's the passage in Psalm 31. says, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up. Notice this. You have what? Stored up. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up. Say it with me. The greatness of God has been stored up. The greatness of God has been stored up for who? For those who fear you, which is bestowed in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. So here, the goodness of God's been stored up for who? For those who, who what? First of all, fear him and also those who take refuge in him. The passage is clear. How great is the goodness of our Lord, which has been stored up for us. It's been stored up. He says, those who honor me, I have stored up great blessings. I have stored it up. It means advanced planning. To store something up, you have to plan ahead. So he stored it up. So okay, okay, right now you're going through a battle and it's a tough one. You know, it's like a white knuckle, bare knuckle thing. You're hanging on hold like a water, like a roller coaster ride, you know, and you're holding on for dear life. I don't know what kind of battle you're going through. And if you're not going through a battle today, I have no doubt you're going to be going through one. We talked about it several weeks ago that most of life is a valley experience. So we cherish those mountaintop experiences most of it's valley though. We know that. Just because you're in a valley doesn't mean you mess things up. It's just the way life runs. So I don't know what kind of battle and I don't know if you're going to win the battle or not. I don't know personally how it's going to turn out. You don't know how it's going to turn out. That financial battle, that physical battle, that relational battle, dignity battle, moral battle, you name it. Whatever conflict's going on in your life. But what I do know is his goodness has been stored up for you if you will fear him and if you take refuge in him. If you try to do it on your own, try to be Mr. Tough Guy, bummer, man. <laughs> His goodness is only stored up for those who fear him. Fear him. So my point, I guess, what the Scripture is telling us when we're in the midst of the battle, you've got to keep honoring God with the way you think. Honor Him in the way you act. Honor the way you talk. Even when everyone and everything comes against you, you keep honoring God. And when you keep honoring God, the Scripture says His goodness has already been, has already been stored up for you and you're going to get through this thing with His help. Remember last week we talked about it? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil flower with me. Your rod and your what? Staff, they comfort me. Psalm 35 says, May those who delight in in my vindication, shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, The Lord be exalted, who delights in the well being of his servant. Those who delight in my vindication. That indicates to me a battle. That indicates to me something was going on for a while. 
And then the Lord steps in and vindicates. But there was a period of time when there was a struggle, battle. But he vindicates. And those who have been vindicated will always say, the Lord be exalted. He, amen, he delights in the well-beings of his servant. And there's that word servant again. Not everybody, but his servants. Those who are bond slaves. Those who have freedom to do as they please, live their own lives, who've been set free from, but who take that freedom and say, no, Lord, I submit unto you. Servants, bond servants. What a choice. Wow. That's what God wants to do in your life. Last question. Last question. What's on the menu at the table of our God? Every single thing he has promised is on the menu. The menu are the promises of God in his word. One had estimated that there's over 5,500 promises in the book from God to you. And I guess the question then is this, and all those promises, have you eaten any of them? Have you enjoyed any of those promises? Because the banquet, the banquet is sitting right here. The table of the Lord is sitting right here. It's in the Word, His Word, the Bible. Everything that God has promised in your life is in this book. And if you're not reading this book, then you don't know squat about what's on the menu. Because this book, according to the Scripture, according to itself, according to God's own testimony, is a book that's full with fruit and bread, all kinds of meat, all kinds of milk, all kinds of drinks, all kinds of wine. It, there's a lot of sweets and a lot, a lot of desserts in it. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says this, It is written, man does not what? Live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so God's Word is called, the Bible is called God's Word. It's called the bread of life. And every man shall live not only by bread alone, but everywhere that proceeds from the Lord. And so therefore, the Word of God, the Bible itself is the meat of the Word. It is the bread of the Word. It is the, the dining. The milk. And the Bible says, it tastes sweeter than honey. It says it's fruit and it's filling. Tasty. The Bible says it's tasty over and over and over again. All these banquet items are described, are described in the Bible itself. And you can feast. You can feast anywhere you want at any time. You can be sitting at a bus station and open up and have a banquet. You can be sitting at the lunch table itself. You can, anytime, you can open up and have, have a meal. And when you do that, the promises of God come forth. You recognize those promises for you. Amen. And, and, and those promises, you know, and your ang anger will go down and the fear goes down and the anxiety will go down. And the reason why there's fear and there's anxiety in your life is because you're not in the book. Other things have, have gotten your attention. You, you've moved away. You've, you think you've got it all together. You think you know everything. It's one of the things I've learned over the years. Every single time I read a passage of Scripture, you know, I can take this passage in, in Psalm 23, verse 5, 
And I can preach it next week. Different message, different way. Why? Because it's new and refreshing. Every morning there's something new in the Word. And the reason why you have the anxiety is because you're not in the book. You don't know what God's promises are in the book. He has prepared a provided a feast, a banquet through this book. Listen to me. He's provided a feast in the book. There's a feast for us. Why in the world are you eating some internet granola bar? Why? 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 If there's a feast in the book, why are you spending more time reading the newspaper and reading some other magazine rather than read the book? The feast, the feast is here. The nourishment is here. The strength is here. You get caught up in social media. We spend hours and hours on social media. You're starving on self, self, social media when you could be feeding he could be feeding you. Psalm 119 says this, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So you got a bad taste in your mouth? Huh? A little bad taste in your mouth going on right now? How much time are you spending in the book? How much time have you been spending feasting? How much time? Are you fasting or are you feasting on the Word of God? All that stuff He's promised to do in your life is there, but you can't be done if you don't know it. If you don't remind yourself from every single day. And I want you to remember this. God never shuts His promises until you shut this book. The promises are new every morning. You shut the book, you shut the promises. You break your lifeline. You cut yourself off. It doesn't matter what your past has been. It doesn't matter the victories you had. You cut yourself off the moment you shut the book. How much time are we literally spending in the book? He said, Pastor Bob, I go to church. I go to church once a week. Or at least once a week. Really? How would you do if you just ate one meal a week? Hmm? Oh, yes, you're passing up. I'm feeding on the Word right now. You think you're feeding on the Word right now? Okay, well, praise God. What if once a week you, you went to a banquet table and you feasted, just ate everything you could do for that one time, and you didn't eat at all for the rest of the week? You become a little anorytic, right? A little skinny, losing some things. You wouldn't be very healthy. I'm going to tell you right now, what I'm teaching you right now is not enough. It's not enough to carry you through to the end. It's not. It's not. You've got to feast and feed upon the Word of God every single day. Amen. That's where you get your strength for the battle. And if you're not getting strength in your battle from this book, then you're going to fail in your battle because you simply don't have the strength on your own to face all the crises you're going to go have. And I'm telling you, Pastor, that I love you guys. We know each other. We've been through a lot together. Listen to me. Listen, you've got to get into the book every single day of your life. It's the banquet. That's the banquet right here. And if you're not in the book, then you're not growing. If you're not in the book, you're not healthy. You're not being strengthened for the battle. Scripture says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who what? Takes refuge in Him. Let me tell you something. Your view of this book, what you think it is, will determine how much you enjoy it. That's the truth. If you see the Word of God, listen to me, if you see the Word of God, if you see the Word of God like a textbook, I'm not into textbooks, let me tell you right now. You know, Because textbooks to me means homework, and I don't like any of that stuff, so I don't like textbooks. 
If you, if you think it's a textbook, you're going to stay away from it, right? Because it means more work. If you think it's a history book, well, it's got some stories of history in it. It's got is history of Israel and history of Jesus. and Lots of history there. Not many people enjoy reading history books. You may. But history is always about the past. We're living today. We're living today. God's Word is not a history book. You say, well, if you think it's an insurance policy, I guess you could call it one. It could be like a fire insurance policy, right? Keep you out of hell. I suppose you could do that. And so you think, I better read it or else, you know? But if you think it's an insurance policy, let me tell you, have you ever sat down and read an insurance policy? They are boring and dry. Basically, when I, I got, just got in the mail this week, stacked this thick for the shop. Oh, it's workman's comp and all this stuff. And all I want to say is, where do I sign? Because there's no way in this world I'm going to understand everything that's in it. I'm probably when I need it, I'm going to find out, well, there's a little clause here, you know, and I'll miss it. But don't we, when you see the policies, all you want to do is sign it and move on. What's it going to cost me? Is it more than last year, this year? And sign the thing. That's what you're looking for. That's it. And if you think life insurance policy is there, and you think it's, it's, it's about life insurance and gets you to heaven or whatever, I don't care how you look at it, insurance policies are boring to dry. So if it's a textbook, if it's a history book, insurance policy, whether hell or heaven, whatever it is, you're not going to read it. But if you know what the book is, if you realize it's a love letter from God, it makes all the difference in the world. His banner over me is love. This is God's love letter to you. And it's not, the Bible's not for, that love letter is not for everybody. The Bible is written for God's children. And that's why people, when, when people who, who don't know the Lord, when they read it, they, they can't understand. They don't believe God. They, it doesn't make any sense for them. No wonder it doesn't make any sense for them. You're, you're reading someone else's mail. It wasn't written for you. It's God's love letter to His children. And if there's only one thing you start doing this week, and it's important you start reading the Bible every single day. So Pastor Bob, it's difficult to understand. Let me tell you something. And you find yourself a modern version. In fact, I had some folks say the best way of getting into the Bible, really, is you find yourself a good ch children's illustrated Bible and start reading through that a little bit because you get the pictures and you look at it and you get the idea of what's going on. Start off small. Get yourself a modern translation version of a Bible. Easy read. Just do that. You can find the local Bible story. You know, you can go on Pathway Press. You can go on the Gospel Publishing House. You can get yourself a message Bible. Get you something that you can read that's easy reading so you can understand it. Don't dive into it. Try to Listen, start with the book of John. Go into Luke. It's all about Jesus. Just start someplace. Don't take for granted that we know that everything's fine. Wednesday Bible study and, and Sunday morning is enough. No, you need it every single day of our lives. Start reading it through. Because if you're not in the book every day, then you're forgetting how much God loves you. You're, you're, you're beginning to see people in a different light. You're forgetting what's on the banquet table. As we judge, you're going to be stressed out because you're thinking it all depends upon you to become self-centered. You don't know what's covered in the policy. And you forget what God has already promised he'll do. And one more promise, one more thing. You prepare a banquet Prepare for me a banquet in the presence of my enemies. It is both now and later that promise. Because right now you're in that battle. So the promise is for you right now. 
You can have a banquet anytime, anytime, anytime you open up the book when you're in that battle. And it'll give you the strength for your enemies, enemies in your life. But I'm saying now, but I'm also saying later because the Scripture is very clear that one day there's going to be a literal banquet for you and I in heaven. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is how it's going to happen. You would think I would go to Revelations, but I didn't. I went to another passage of Scripture that is telling the climax of heaven. And one day we're going to be, and it's in Isaiah 25. This great banquet the Lord is preparing for us, all those who honor Him and trusted Him. Verse 6 starts off with, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all people, a banquet of aged wine and, and the best meats. The finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from the earth. The Lord has spoken in that day. He, they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him. He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Lord Almighty has prepared this feast of the finest food for all the people. And it doesn't matter what a person's background is. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter what cultural background. No, it doesn't matter. If you put your faith in Lord Jesus Christ, who put your hand on the plow and you didn't turn back, you put your hand on the plow and you move forward, the Scripture says, praise God, you've trusted Him. You've accepted him into, he's accepted you into the family. He said, this is for everybody. No matter what the background is. He's prepared a, a, a feast of the finest foods for all people, banquet of the best meats and finest wines is on this mountain. And then the Scripture says He's going to destroy the shroud that evokes his, his people and sheets that cover all nations. You say, well, what, what, what are you ta- what's He talking about? He's talking. He's talking about that shroud. A shroud is something they literally put on dead people, you know. Wrap them up like dummies. He said, I'm going to take away that covering of death. He's talking about that gloom that, that, that spreads over our world because all we know and all we recognize is somewhere along the line we're all going to die. And it hangs over everybody. Global warming, we've got like five years or something and it's all over. What kind of encouragement do young people get for that, huh? It's gloom of death. I'm taking it over. Gone. He said, I will destroy that trout of death that envelops my people. And the sheeps that the sheets that they cover all nations. What are the sheets? The, the cloud of grief that we're all under. Things don't always work out right. We have, we have moments where we forget and things that we, we wish we could have changed and, and that grief that's there. Things, you know, everything's broken on this planet. And God says, one day, one day at this banquet, I'm going to destroy. Amen. One more thing. The last enemy. I told you before there are three, but in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter brings out a fourth one. And the last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. Bible says that he will swallow up death forever. There'll be more de- no more death. No, nobody's going to die. The sovereign Lord is going to wipe away all tears from the faces, remove all the disgrace from his people. That disgrace. We are being disgraced. As children of God, we are disgraced. We are put down because we're believers. We're put down and challenged because of our truths that we stand for. Because we're doing the right thing. Holding on, we claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we do that, we are being disgraced. Whether they do it to our face or behind our backs, it's the disgrace that comes over us today. 
And the scripture says he's going to remove that disgrace, all the disgrace of his people by this banquet in front of the enemy. So wipe away their tears. And on that day, we shall surely say, we trusted him and he saved us. Yes, this is the Lord. We trusted him. So let's rejoice and be glad in what? His salvation. His salvation. We're going to bring the service to a close. The altars are open. And I want us to come and I want us to be in prayer. I want us to simply take this message and allow the Spirit of God to bring back some things and just lay it out before Him. Those battles we're fighting, battles we are fighting now and are going to fight. How's it going for you? How's it working out? If you're a little frustrated and God has a plan, He's planned a banquet in the middle of your battles. And we need to stop. We need to stop and we need to thank God for His goodness. For His goodness. Even if we don't recognize all the stuff that we've received, all the blessing we've received, we need to thank Him. Thank Him even in the middle of those bank, those battles. Thank Him. Thank Him for the fact that He reveals that we are actually He's making us an honored guest. That, that, that the, the blessing that He wants, that the relationship He wants, he wants the public to see that. I know it's on a battlefield. It's there on a the battlefield. But our enemies ultimately are going to see and understand that. And they're going to see how our God actually honors us. We need to tell them. We need to be honest. We need to be honest and say, Lord, I'm not doing so good. It feels like I'm surrounded right now and I'm not really doing really well. And I don't know how it's all going to turn out. The world around me, it's all this pressures and stress, expectations. It goes on and on and on. Mm. do those things I don't want to do and things I want to do I can't do and ah Lord help me thank you Lord for the message this morning because it's reminding me that you want to welcome me into your fellowship there and I know I know it's reminding me you want to hang out with me and I need to spend some time with you forgive me for not being so caught up in things around me that I miss the moment trying to put out fires and change things and figure out what the future is and I forget promise you. I forget to dine in the banquet. You provided for me. And I know, Lord, that you are wooing me, and I thank you. Let my ears, anoint my ears, Lord, that I can really hear that wooing, that gentle calling, calling me from that jaw of distress. You're the only one that can help me. The only one give me the direction. I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm going to run straight to you, Lord. From where I am to the place you say, place of freedom. You're going to strengthen me so I go back into battle. i got to go back into battle, yes. But you be ready. Strengthen. Vision is clear. The testimony will ring out. Others will know. Thank you. And we need to thank Him. Thank Him for just loving us. Thank Him for wanting to bless us. He's done so much for us. We need to give Him that glory. Can we do that and worship Him? Next few moments. It's still early. God will bless always. Amen? Amen. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Praise His holy name. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to come to Your Word. Father, I pray that as we continue to walk in Your ways, and Father, we'll find our strength completely in You. Let our hearts and minds be drawn to understanding who You truly are and then being able to express that through, through worship, not just on a Sunday morning, but every day of our life. We, my Father, continue to be a witness to those around of your grace, of your mercy, of your love. The transformation which you've begun so many years ago in our lives, let it continue, Lord. 
your grace and your mercy, let it abound. Let us taste and see, Lord, that you are good. Day by day, Lord, let us never, ever, ever take anything for granted. Experience your love and commitment, Lord God, as we commit our lives. Continue to do that on a daily basis. And Father, we run to you with open arms. We run to your open arms, my Lord, recognizing you accept you, you accept us, Lord God, regardless of the cause of the dilemma or the problem. You love us just because. We praise your holy name. Touch and strengthen as we go our different places, different ways, Lord. Let hearts and minds be directed to you in all things. The race is not over. The journey is still before us. And we shall fulfill. We shall not look back. We shall move forward in your precious name. The battles may rage, but we are resting peacefully in your arms. We love you a bunch. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Folks, you're dismissed in Jesus' name.